0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Can you imagine or even fathom what it must have been like to be the parents of the Son of God? The Son of the Most High. You think pressure? anxiety might have been a few of the constants in your life. Questions like, where do I even begin? What do I do? I mean, you weren't exactly people of the highest status before this, from the sleepy little town of Nazareth, just going about your life, and now you've got to raise the most important child in history? And you weren't exactly proud about how it all started. You couldn't even provide a place for him a a room for him to be born you couldn't find a bed for him except for the straw in a feeding trough that was a little bit embarrassing but that was quickly forgotten when the roller coaster of being Jesus parents got going right away because suddenly these shepherds burst onto the scene and they've got amazing news that they received from angels and it's about your child in that feeding trough. The angels told them that that's their savior, the Messiah they've been waiting for, so they had to come see. And so you treasure those things up. How incredible. Reminds you of who your child is. But even with who your child is, a week later, that didn't change that you didn't even have enough money at Jesus' presentation at the temple to give the usual lamb for sacrifice. No, you had to do the poor man's offering, which was the two doves instead. Perhaps there was some shame in that. But the roller coaster keeps going, because then suddenly there's this man named Simeon, who takes up your child in his arms, speaking beautiful poetry of praise, saying, my eyes have seen your salvation, O Lord, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. And then there was this woman named Anna, who comes to you thanking God that he sent your child and telling everyone else at the temple that that's their savior. Wow, what an amazing child you have. And now less than two years later, you just had these mysterious magi come from a far off land to see your child, to worship him. And then they give you Riches and gifts like you have never seen in your entire life. And maybe you're starting to think, okay, maybe we can handle this. Maybe we can raise this child. You go to bed to get some rest after a long day of the Magi visiting and all these exciting things. When an angel appears to Joseph. Lately, that's been pretty good news. A lot of awesome things angels have been saying, but this time it's anything but. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. The roller coaster continues. After all this excitement, all this amazing, all these amazing things, and the Magi coming, and now all of a sudden we've got to get up in the middle of the night? And his parents have to away, hearts pounding out of their chests with a fragile little baby in their arms, the most important baby in history, and there's a bounty on his head? What's going on? What, what chaos was this? I thought this was the savior of the world, the king of kings. And we have to run away from one crazed king that wants to kill him. No doubt these things are running through their minds as they run to Egypt frantically in the night. Where's God in all this? This isn't what was supposed to happen to the Savior, really. But perhaps in that long journey, you remember a certain truth. That this isn't the first time God's people had to go to Egypt. In a difficult time, in a time of chaos. Because there was Jacob and his family. Israel had to go to Egypt in starvation and famine and worry. But God called them back out from that. And perhaps Mary and Joseph comforted each other with that truth. Maybe they remembered it. But one of the things for sure, Matthew makes that connection for us this morning. He says, just as they called Israel out, so out of Egypt, I called my son, God says. But you see, this is a unique prophecy. Because before Jesus, no one would have read Hosea 11.1, 1, which this quotes. No one would have read that as prophecy. It was simply a description of how God brought his people, his children, Israel, out of Egypt. We remember all that with the plagues and the way Moses led them out through the Red Sea. So how does Jesus fulfill something that's not a prediction? You see, God is making a profound connection for us this morning. Jesus is the true Israel, the better Israel, the new Israel, the Israel that Israel never, the actual, the first Israel never could have been. Because we know how that rebellious child of Israel was. Well, rebellious, constantly doubting God, questioning him in the wilderness, and questioning him and unable to stand up under anything that sniffed of suffering— And after thousands of years has much changed for God's children. Or do we often find ourselves asking the same question, having the same doubts when we see chaos in this world and we see Christians persecuted and and even killed for their faith and we see people trying to stomp out Christianity and we see Christians facing pain and death every day? And we become like Israel of old and we doubt God and We rebel against him. But that's why we needed a better child, a a perfect child in our place. And that's what God is showing us today, that that's what Jesus came to be. Israel, think of it, they didn't even know it. But God, who works in all and through all, was using them to foreshadow what he would eventually do with his true son. That he would call him out of Egypt to show what Jesus came to be. A better son. A perfect son. In Israel's place and our place. One who didn't complain as we so often do. One who didn't doubt God in difficulty as we're so prone to do. But perfectly trusted in our place. Everything that Israel wasn't, Jesus was. Every time we failed, Jesus didn't. A true and better son. Mary and Joseph no doubt wondered what was going on. Why did they have to run with this true son of God to a foreign land as someone tried to kill him? And think of the people in Bethlehem. Why? Don't you think they'd ask why? Why such atrocities could happen in the very town the Savior was born in? Listen as Matthew describes it. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted. That doesn't sound like a place where the Savior of the world was born just less than two years ago. Where's the rejoicing that filled those streets that night, that Christmas night, replaced with mourning and weeping, cries of of murder for innocent children? What had the Savior been born to come and save them from if not this? This? Yet there is hope, hidden in what Matthew quotes for us in Matthew chapter 2. You see, what Matthew quotes for this weeping in Ramah and all of these things was in the middle of two chapters actually chock full of hope in Jeremiah 31. And what was happening then was God's children Israel were being taken into captivity of their doubting and rebelliousness and by this foreign nation, by Babylon and Assyria. And so many of them doubting God and had to go to captivity. And so of course there was weeping. Of course there was wondering what was happening. And of course they refused to be comforted over all these things. But yet God said this, I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. There was mourning, there was pain, there was captivity, yes. But God would bring them back. And God's people Israel were to look to that with joy. He says, there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. So what about here in Matthew 2? Where's the hope? There's pain and unconceivable loss. There are innocent children that are dying. And and there's this wicked, worldly king whose plan seems to be winning. What hope is there in midst of all of that chaos? And, and, And we start, when we see chaos like that, we start to doubt God and wonder what could his plan possibly be? But then we remember that, yes, even here in Matthew 2, God was still in control. Even as the king of kings had to flee from a worldly king, God knew, God wasn't surprised. He had predicted and shown that his son would be pulled and called out of Egypt. And even as there was all this death and mourning of even innocent children, we know the child that they died in place of. We know who God protected them to be, who protected him to be because of their death. And through their death, the Savior, they were killed because the Savior just happened to be born in the same city as them. That's horribly unfair from our perspective. It doesn't make sense. But then we see what that son they died in place of grew up to be. He lived to be the perfect child they could never be, that we could never be. He lived on to face suffering and pain and eventually to die then in their place to save them from something far worse than physical death and pain, but the eternal kind. That child was their savior and he grew up to be just that. By their sacrifice, he went on to be sacrificed for them and for us. He went on to be our substitute, not just in life, but in death as God's child. So that God's children could live on protected forever. Let's step back in the shoes of Mary and Joseph one last time. They're waiting in Egypt. Who knows how long? This foreign land they're not used to, wondering what's going on, wondering when they're going to be able to go back. When the angel comes and appears to Joseph in a dream. And it's back to good news this time. Thanks be to God. He says, you can go back. The one who is looking to stomp out the Savior's life has met an end himself. And so you go back. But but just as things are starting to come to another high in the roller coaster of parenting Jesus, it seems to all come crashing down. Because you see who's ruling in Herod's place. It's Archelaus, his son, who is perhaps even more cruel And so just when it seems like everything's going to work out, it all comes crumbling down again. And you wonder, what is going on with God? Can't we get a win? Can't anything good happen? But now, for the third time in the text before us this morning, we see how God takes chaos and wondering and doubt and does something beautiful behind the scenes. of kings. He wasn't going to grow up in Jerusalem, the place of kings. He wasn't going to grow up nearby in Bethlehem, not even there. But he would be called a Nazarene. He'd grow up in Nazareth. A place of mockery. A place that people said stuff like, can anything good come from there? Because God is showing us what kind of a king Jesus is. He wasn't coming to take some own by force or destroy a bunch of earthly enemies, even though many had hoped he would. No, he was a humble king who knew what he came to be. Here in Matthew 2, we have a profound comparison of kings. The kings of this world thirsty for power and violence and wanting to put an end to anything that could stand in their way. The king of kings, a savior. First and foremost, who knew that he, his rule, would be filled with mockery, pain, and scorn, and more, for us. Yeah, he would be called a Nazarene, and there wasn't a lot of honor that came with that. But that's who our Savior is. This protected child grew up to be God's, was God's true son. He was called out of Egypt as Israel long ago. He went on to live this life perfectly in our place. Not doubt as we so often doubt. He fought spiritual battles that we so often lose. And he won. And he ultimately went on to face the price that we didn't have to pay because of him. And he was killed, murdered in our place. So in our place, obedient, in our place, murdered, God's perfect son. Look what God does in the midst of chaos, pain, and wondering. And even wicked plans from wicked kings. He protected his child, a savior, to be the perfect son he always wanted. So that we might be called his children. So, so, what chaos is in your life right now? What doubts fill your mind and what areas does it just seem impossible to see God's plan? Because whether it's personal life or the news, we look and see pain and chaos everywhere. We see families separated for Christmas and the holidays. We see people dying in snowstorms and hurricanes. We see wars continuing to rage on. But yet, even when that young couple thought it was all unraveling as they ran off to a foreign country, a baby with a bounty in tow, God did something beautiful in that chaos and wondering. Even as a wicked king's plan seemed to be winning, God really was winning. God's plan was still done in the chaos, anxiety, and tears of this broken world, God protected his child to live in our place, to trust in our place, and to not despair over sufferings as we so often do. But he drank his cup of suffering to the last drop, all so that we could be free of this world of pain and weeping and chaos. That doesn't mean we'll see peace And perfection in the here and now. But what it does mean. Is that since God protected his son. God's children are protected to eternity. You are those protected children. Who can trust that out of the chaos and tears of this broken world. God will call you home. Just as he called his son forth. Even as uncertainty bounds, your salvation is certain. You are God's protected children for eternity. For you, God protected his son. In Christ, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, ever guard your hearts and minds in the true faith, even in chaos, until life everlasting Amen. Please stand. And we'll speak together the words of the creed as we profess our faith together on page 12. I believe in God's.